It's tough to drive down the expressway and see all the thousands of people who pass us. To drive by all the homes or, as I did yesterday, to fly over your community and see community after community, subdivision after subdivision filled with people who are going to hell. Millions of people that used to live on the Earth's surface are down there now suffering because they made a wrong decision. Think about the people with whom you work. And as the Bible would command us, think about yourself. Life goes like a paper. God does not want one person lost in this place. The message about hell may not be politically correct. It may in this day of postmodern confusion be something that creates bad public relations. But it is essential to understanding why Jesus came and what Jesus did and why it matters. Isn't it exciting to know that the will of God is not just a cloud, it is a detailed thing and you don't have to just walk around in a fog all your life. But we fool ourselves if we do not face hell seriously. We have purpose. We have a reason to glorify God on the face of the earth by taking the gospel to every creature. It is not a vain job. It is not a vain task. He will do it and desires to accomplish it through you. The name of God is going to be great among the nations from the rising of the sun even to its setting. He is going to do it. Now, church, he has invited you to participate in the joy of the harvest. What a day it will be for those who left houses and lands and this and that and everything to serve their Lord on the foreign field. And what a day it will be for those like you who helped put them there. No one has ever been able to bear the preaching of the gospel. They will either turn against it with the fierceness of an animal or they will be converted. Throw yourself upon Christ. Trust in Him. Trust in Him. We are not called to build empires. We are not called to be accepted. We are called to glorify God. Eternity. The day you stand in those granite halls before the Lord of glory and kings, the greatest men on earth are divided and split and culled. Some cast into eternal hell and some invited into eternal glory live for eternity. These Olympians, how, how majestic they are, but only for a moment. They start training when they're four and five years old. They never do anything but train until they're 22. They run a nine-second race for a medal they hang up, and that's it. Cannot give equal for eternal things. There is one there who is infinite in glory, and you will spend an eternity of eternities tracking him down and you will never get your arms even around the foothill of his mountain. I can't live like this anymore. I can't live just reading books. I can't live just reading about revivals and about people who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew you. So many different things you want to know and do and all the books 
Get out a book on God. This one. For it is for this we labor and strive because we fixed our hope on the living God. This is not some martyr thing in which we uselessly give our lives to nothing only to be pulverized without hope. No! We serve God and God will honor us. We have fixed our hope on that and that gives us strength. Strength. Oh, this life is a vapor. I'm 47, but yesterday I was 21. Where did it all go? It is a vapor. While you have strength, preach. I praise God that in His providence as a young man, I spent myself in the Andes Mountains and in the jungles of Peru doing what I no longer have the strength to do. While you are a young man, while there is strength in you, labor with all your might. Take those stupid video games of yours and crush them under your feet. Throw the TV out the window. You were made for greater things than these. If you're a child of the King, nothing on this earth can satisfy. Nothing. I want the power of God on my life. Then something's got to go. I want to know Him. Then some separation has to Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glorious, wonderful, and living God, we come before you this evening in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we declare, Lord God, that you are holy, that you are wonderful, that you are glorious, Father God. And that we love you so magnificently, Lord. And yet we do not love you as we should. So we pray tonight, Lord God, as we worship, as we praise you, as we pray to you, as we go to your word, Lord God that you would transform us, transmogrify us, O oh God, that you would reach deep within us, O oh God, and transform, change, obliterate the things, Lord God, that hold us back from being who you have called us to be. We want to live for you, Lord God. Help us to do exactly that, Lord. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. Well, brothers and sisters, Friends, as we gather tonight, we're going to go right into worship. Thank you for joining us. Some are here. Others are on their way. But we're not going to delay. We've set an appointment to meet with the one, the only, the true, and the living. And we are going to meet with him. Let's worship our God tonight. This is what you do. up in the chat room. Let's go.
Come on, let's continue to worship. Let's continue to worship. This is amazing grace. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of
Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, come on. The Bible says not to grow weary and well-doing. So let's not do that. This next song is called Closer.
Right, for those listening through the MixLR app, you'll we're going to continue worship for one more song, about four more minutes, um, and then we're going to the Word of God. We're going to be anchored tonight, um, pretty much the whole night in Matthew chapter 21. Although we will be referencing and jumping to other. Um, verses of scripture, we're mainly going to be in Matthew chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get that ready. Let's worship one more song, and then we're going straight to the Word of God. All right, let's go.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, glory, love to worship. Father, we love you. Oh, how awesome it is to worship you, oh God, to glorify your name, to lift high the name of Jesus. Oh, because there is none greater. There is none more worthy. There is none who compares, oh God, to you. Glory, 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 glory. Well, brothers, sisters, friends, I have a message from the Lord for you tonight. Um, we're connecting to the series that we've been doing on parables. Um, someone asked me recently, how long are you going to be doing? I have no idea. The Lord has told me to focus on the parables of Jesus. And so I am being obedient. I will focus somewhere else when the Lord releases me and gives me such liberty. Until that time, we're caught up in a series on the parables of Jesus. And tonight, we're going to deal with the most important, the most powerful, the most essential of all the parables ever taught by Jesus. This is not hyperbole. This truly is the most powerful, self-examining, exhorting, penetrating, parable that Jesus told. We're going to be focused in tonight in Matthew chapter 21. I want to read from verses 33 to 44. If you have a Bible, follow along with me. There we read in the word of our Lord. Jesus, after having challenged, and we talked about this last week, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the leaders of his time, says to them and to the others who are gathered at the temple in Jerusalem, Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of fruit drew near, he sent, excuse me, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one, and killed another. Verse 35. And the husbandman took his servants, beat one, and killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. Verse 37. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, Please underline this phrase if you're underlining in your Bible. They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, underline this next phrase, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us see on his inheritance. 
And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They said unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Verse 43. Therefore, say I unto you, and you can just underline the rest of this, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruit thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it fall, it shall ground, grind him to powder. I want to speak to you tonight on the simple but very, very, very pertinent topic. Reverence the Son. Reverence the Son. Spirit of the living God, we need you tonight. I need you. Father, you have given me this message to preach and you have shown me how utterly essential it is in our time. How necessary that every soul that beats alive in Christ hear this parable and be made to see with clarity the truths therein. Father, would you lead me? Father, would you guide me? Father, in the name of Jesus, would you make this alive? Would you, O oh God, take control, O oh God? Would you guide my every intonation and my every gesture, my every inflection, my every enunciation, Lord God? Would you make my tongue the pen of the ready writer, O oh God, and write upon the hearts of the hearer, O oh God, such words, such truth that penetrate so deeply that chains will be broken tonight, that prison doors will be opened tonight, that truth will be heard to ring forth, O oh God unceasingly that light will shine in the darkness and many who have been captive shall be set free. O oh God, illuminate our hearts and minds tonight we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. My topic again, reverence the Son. I want to start off by unpacking, if you will, this parable for you. You see, this parable, and we've talked about the importance of the parables because the parables essentially outline the kingdom. They illuminate the kingdom for the believer. This is the kingdom of which we are part. Before we are Canadian or American or Mexican, 
before we are Guatemalan or Salvadorian or before we are Colombian or before we are Ecuadorian, before Argentinian, before Belizean, before, oh God, we are Jamaican or Haitian, before, Lord God, that we are Portuguese, Spanish, oh God, British, French, German, Italian, oh Swiss, Finnish, Austrian, before we are anything, Lord God, before we are Iranian or Ghanaian, oh God, before we are Kenyan, oh God, or 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 what Father South African before, oh God. We are of the Ivory Coast or Austria, oh God. Before we are Chinese or Japanese or Indian or Pakistani, oh God. Before we are Afghan, oh God, or Israeli or any other thing on God's green earth. We who are yours belong to a kingdom with no end. And when the Lord speaks about his kingdom, This is not a kingdom we will join in the great by and by. This is the kingdom in which we abide now. The kingdom which by our prayers and our living, oh, and our fellowship, we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. It's a kingdom now and a kingdom in the future. It is our home. It is our glory. We are ambassadors of that kingdom. We must see it clearly. And this, above all others, is a kingdom parable. Note first in verse 33 of Matthew 21, the care that the householder has taken. Note how that he not only planted the vineyard, He hedged it round about. He dug a wine press in it. He built a tower. In other words, he not only planted the vine, he not only cleared the land, planted the vine, put a hedge of protection round about it. He set a tower in its center that watchmen may be established to see what is going on, to warn of invading enemies and to hear from God so that we should know how to respond when we are reproved. He has taken care of everything. This is the Lord God dealing with Abraham and his descendants. This is Israel. This is the people of God. This is the establishing of a kingdom. This is the establishment of a nation. This is the sending out of Abraham, the exile of Jacob and his people, the return at the hand of Moses. This is the coming of the prophets, the establishment of the throne of David, the coming of the prophets and the seers. This is Jeremiah and Isaiah, Ezekiel. This is Jonah and Habakkuk and Amos and Malachi. This is God. And he has taken care of everything. This is the Lord shall supply all of thy need according to his riches and glory. This is 
Yahweh Jiri, your provider. This is Yahweh Rofa, your healer. This is the God that healeth, that sanctifieth. This is Jehovah Mekadesh. This is El Shaddai, the superabundant one. This is God. He established the kingdom. And note in verse 34 that while he gave this kingdom into the hands of men. And while he took care of everything, there was an expectation of the Lord. In the time of harvest, he sent his servants seeking fruit of the kingdom he had established. Do you understand this? See, what we are to understand here is that while God supplies everything, salvation begins with God and endures in Christ. It is maintained through Christ. We are delivered, sanctified onto a heavenly kingdom by the keeping power of the Holy Spirit. While Christ did it all and declared that it is finished, there is fruit of that finished work that he expects. Even Jesus echoed this when he spoke about the fact that he said, I am the vine and ye are the branches. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit is cut off. And he talked about it being cast into a fire. And those that bear fruit are pruned so that they may bear more fruit. For the Father is glorified in this, that we bear much fruit. This is James exclaiming that faith without works is dead, though we are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. Even our faith is a gift of God. Yet and still, there is fruit of that faith. If I'm a believer, I can believe. And if I believe, my believing has manifestations on this side of eternity. Do you understand? So God sent his servants. And who are these servants? but the prophets of old. I want to pause here to say something about prophecy and about the prophetic gift and about the prophetic office. See, we live in a day and age where so many believe that the gifts are dead because all they see is fake manifestations of fake gifts used to manipulate and harm. We live in an age that's turned prophecy into witchcraft and divination where the prophet comes to your church and tells you your phone number or your email or unveils this thing or that thing about another. That's not prophecy. That's divination. It's diabolical. We've also turned it into I see, I say, thus says the Lord. Someone's going to give a $10,000 gift and we've turned it into arm twisting and manipulation to take from people, to reach into men's pockets and women's purses and steal those things that are theirs. And so you go to seminars and you go to these establishments 
and those who paid the highest price to be there are seated in the front ten rows and the anointing never prophesies past those rows and it's always I prophesy someone's going to give a gift someone's going to get blessed someone's going to get this someone's going to get that someone's going to get a tenfold increase a thirtyfold and the exclamation point is always that you will not get what I prophesied until you put in my pocket what I demand of you and so we've made the gospel something that's for sale this was never supposed to be God sent the prophets and the word that Christ uses in this parable for them is that he sent his slaves if you are given to prophetic utterance if you prophesy to prophesy means that God speaks the mysterion of God, the mysterious, the megalios, the great revelations of God's word. He clarifies them to you. He opens to you. And then there's a connection between your heart and God's heart. And when you open your mouth, you speak clearly the things of God. That's prophecy. Not I see, I say somebody in the room has a headache. And when prophecy is used right, the goal of the prophet is to till the soil of your heart so that the seed of the word gets in deep enough. The prophet comes to fertilize the soil, to water the ground with his tears and his prayers. Until your life bears fruit. Christ has saved you. We should see fruit of sanctification. We should see the love of God manifested in your heart. We should see a change daily from image to image and from glory to glory. And when God sent the prophets to Israel, it was to challenge them. It was to commit them. It was to see, are my people bearing fruit for all that I've done for them? But instead, we see in verses 35 to 36 that the people killed the prophets. They killed them. Rather than listen, rather than bear fruit, they killed them. They destroyed them. Are you like that? Someone gets preaching good and the preaching challenges your heart and you begin to demand, I don't know who they think they are. You begin to tear down the righteous. You begin to backbite and backstab and talk about them. You refuse to support because they're preaching truth. Do we kill the prophets today? We live in an age that's made true prophecy almost completely unavailable. We live in a time of famine, not of food, but of the Word of God, and we've never had so much of it. We have more Christian channels and more Christian TV stations and more Christian access. We have YouTube and Facebook and Snapchat and Twitter and, 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 and a myriad of other apps and social media. We have so many platforms and yet so little truth. 
so much fluff and so much self-help and so much self-aggrandizement and so much good psychology wrapped up in spirituality and so much new age and so much this and so much manipulation and so little true prophecy because the hearts of so many are closed to it. Why? What compelled them to kill the prophets? What is it that in our day and age compels people to kill the prophets still? For we live in an age not so different from theirs. We're going to come back to that point in just a few moments. But I want you to note the landowner's reaction. When they killed the first set of his servants, he sent more to them. Isn't it glorious that our God will send us a word, will send us a warning, will send us a messenger, will wake up in the morning and will open the word and he'll speak to us and we don't listen. And we'll get a text. We'll get a message. Someone will call. We'll be driving down the road. Oh, thank God. He doesn't just warn us once. He sends again and again and again and again and over and over in his mercy. And when he saw that they would not listen, rather than simply saying, well, I'll send my armies out against them. He says instead, verse 37, I will send my son. He sends his son. And what he says about the son is critical for our own self-examination tonight. He says very simply, they will reverence my son. And trepo, literally meaning to turn in upon oneself. The word here for reverence literally means when they see my son, when they see the Christ, when they see Calvary, when they see his glory, when they see his humility, when they see his perfection, when they see his love, when they see his grace, when they see his mercy and his compassion, his authority and his wisdom, they will be turned in upon themselves. They will be put to shame. They will recognize the sinfulness of their rejection and they will tremble. And they will reverence and respect my son. I want to challenge you tonight. Make this individual 
Don't make this about anybody but yourself. Do you reverence the Son? Do you reverence the Son? Do you see Jesus in a light such that it brings you to tremble? When you think about Calvary, when you think of his sacrifice, are you turned in upon yourself? Do you suddenly turn in against your own greed and your own selfishness and your own self-pity and your own carnality and your own sinfulness? Or do you sit on some high horse thinking yourself high and mighty and thinking yourself above others. Thinking somehow that you deserve what Christ did. That somehow it didn't take all that because you're not that bad. Do you live a life that says I respect and honor all that Christ has done for me and all who he is. You see, the husbandman to whom he had lent out the land did not reverence the son. Rather than reverence the son, they mistreated, beat, and killed him. Why? For the same reason that they killed his servants. See, they were never in it for the landowner. They were never really committed to him. It was never really about his glory. It was never really about his honor. It was never really about giving him what he deserves. We see this by looking at their words in verse 38. You see, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we can examine their hearts through their words. When they saw the son, they said, this is the heir. This is the one to whom everything we have rightfully belongs. See, they started off right. There was an acknowledgement. He is the Lord. He is the true master of everything I have. Yet their next words show their heart. And it also shows the root cause of so many of the symptoms that are weakening the church in so much of the world today. Not everywhere. There is revival in some parts of the world. Especially in those places where the persecution is great. And to my brothers and my sisters listening, from those areas for I know we have some of you mainly who listen in the archives I, I get your messages our prayers are with you we stand with you in faith and we admire your dedication but for so many calling themselves Christian that's why Jesus said not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom Look at the heart of these who were abiding in the vine of the Lord. 
In fact, they're keeping the land for him. These are leaders. These are prophets. These are pastors. These are elders. These are bishops. These are presbyters. These are leaders in the house of God assigned to keeping the vine and its branches, which is Christ and his church here on earth. They said, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And let us seize on his inheritance. Do you see what they're saying here? It was never about his glory. It was about their benefit. See, in the modern day, your best life now, your purpose-driven life, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, churchianity. You run into so many who are serving Christ, not for his glory, not because he's worthy, not because he paid the price, not because he's the Lord of glory, not because he's already Lord, but because of the benefits. Yes, there are benefits in serving the Christ. Yes, he's a good father. Yes, he's a good provider. Yes, he's a healer. Yes, he's a sanctifier. Yes, he's a deliverer. Yes, he is a protector. Yes, he is a way maker. Yes, he is a miracle worker. Yes, he is the king. Yes, he has all authority. Yes, he is the comforter. Yes, he is the counselor. Yes, he is everything you will ever need. And he's good. And there are many Myriad multiplied benefits in serving him. But when your eyes are focused on the gifts in his hands and not the glory of his face, when you're chasing the hands and the pockets of the great king and not the heart and the eyes that are a flame of fire, then you will crucify the Christ anew and afresh unto yourself, as spoken about in the book of Hebrews. They killed the Son because they didn't want the Son and they didn't want the Father and they didn't want a connection to the kingdom. They wanted heaven. And they wanted heavenly things. And they wanted the blessings. And they wanted the benefit. And they wanted the prosperity. And they wanted the healing. But they didn't want the healer. They didn't want the prosperer. They didn't want the Lord. See, they wanted the benefits. But to maintain lordship for themselves. And if we are to be honest tonight as we look at this parable, then we've got to ask ourselves some questions. What am I chasing? Why am I in the kingdom? Am I seeking God with a right heart? Do I hunger and thirst after righteousness? Do I desire to turn my eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face? Do I desire my Gethsemane moment where I declare not my will but thine be done? 
Or is my constant prayer? I demand and I decree and I declare and I need and I want and you better. Come on, saints, we need to look at our hearts. Don't think about anybody else. Don't think about any false preacher. Don't think about any televangelist. I want you to focus on your life. Are there areas of your life where rather than living for his glory, you're living for your glory and demanding that he back you up? You see, Jesus asked the question after preaching this, and this is why this is so critical. He taught this parable and then he said, When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do to those husbandmen? What will he do to those servants? What will he do to those who did not reverence the son? And they got it right. They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits thereof in their season. And Jesus talks about the stone that was rejected becoming the chief cornerstone. Do you see saints? There's a powerful message in this and we cannot miss it. The relevance of the parable to this generation is the confrontation of the question, have we lost our reverence for our Lord? Do you see the sheer, raw power and purpose of this parable? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Paul wrote that in all things that befell Israel under the old covenant, all of them happened as an example and were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. He also warned in Romans 11 against the arrogance of forgetting that we are wild branches being grafted into a cultivated vine of the people of God. Thus it is critical that we confront honestly the central question of this parable, have we lost our reverence? Do we honor the Christ as he deserves or are we, like those husbandmen in the parable, simply seeking to seize the son that we may take his inheritance? What are we really about? Because just as the kingdom could be taken from them and transferred to another. Listen, I've traveled. I'll never forget one of the saddest experiences. I ever had on the mission field it was glorious and tragic at the same time I was asked by the group that was sponsoring us and by our leaders and by some brothers of Teen Challenge to do some open air street preaching outside of a great mall that they had there so we met at the mall, we gathered, we fellowshiped, we prayed, we went out several times, preached. And I did not know till afterwards, there were two amazing things, one in front of me and one behind. Behind me, 
on the other side of the mall, there, were, there was like a glass walkway there. If you walk back into the mall, there was a glass walkway. And if you walk through there, you saw a courtyard. And nothing was built on this courtyard, though the rest of the space was made. And they explained to me the reason for it. There was a stump there. And it was the grave of one of the great Scottish covenanters. I was in Scotland at the time. And his father. The men, because the covenanters covenanted that they would not obey any church, that they would not obey any government, they would not obey any man that tried to take command of the church away from God. That they would not obey and preach what somebody in Rome or somebody in London or somebody anywhere else told them to preach. That they would obey the commandments of God. That they would preach the truth of scripture. And they were chased out of their home in one of the founding covenanters. Because he could preach nowhere else. And when he left the church, he preached in the street. They passed laws he couldn't preach in the street. So he preached in alleyways. They passed laws that stopped him there. And finally, the only place he could preach was standing on his father's grave. And because they could pass no laws to silence him there, he preached and he thundered out truth so much that men and women found their hearts broken and cried for hours. Lives were converted. People were brought back to truth. But the establishment would not tolerate the prophetic preaching. And so as he preached on his father's grave, they threatened to kill him on that same grave. But he stood beneath the tree in front of his father's grave. And as he preached, they strung him up and hung him there. And it was powerful for me to know that I was preaching truth. Not 100 or 200, 100, 150 feet from where such an incredible event took place. That was behind me. In front of me and across the way was a huge church. One of the largest churches ever built in Scotland, built after the move of the Covenanters. As people gathered and demanded truth and hungered for righteousness, souls were saved. And I looked at that great and glorious building and found out after I was done preaching that it was no longer a church. That it had served for some long time as a discotheque and had recently been purchased by a Muslim congregation and was being turned into a mosque. Saints, do you hear what I'm trying to tell you? Their lamp was blown out. They started strong, but it was taken away. And we must not take for granted the call that God has placed upon us in this generation. Yes, it's getting dark. Listen, the world which once turned to tur- tried to turn science against the church, is now turning science in upon itself. 
They claim that they don't have to listen to us because we're unscientific, but they can't even decipher anymore what is male and what is female. We have taken truth and cast it into the sewers in so much of the Western world. Not just biblical truth, but logical truth, scientific truth, all truth is being cast away. And as the darkness rises, what was God's promise? When the enemy comes in like a flood, Jahveh Nisi, Jehovah Nisi, my banner, I will raise up a standard against them. This is our time. And we are being called to reestablish truth and to preach prophetically and powerfully with unction and anointing that shatters shackles, lifts up the yoke, breaks off the bondages, opens the prison doors, liberates the people and makes men born again. Yet rather than do that, so many are simply seizing upon the son to rob his inheritance. We want the blessings, not the blesser. We want the power and don't recognize that it's not a power, it's a person. The Holy Spirit of the living God. And you cannot have him unless you have the Christ. And so we manufacture false anointings and strange fire in the house of God. And multiply darkness over darkness. And fulfill the curse of the Pharisees. That once we go out and find a convert. We make them twice as bound for hell. As any of us ever were ourselves. This is not the legacy. This is not the heritage of the people of God. Our legacy, our heritage, is to bring glory to God, to raise up the banner of Jesus Christ, to turn men back, to win souls, to transform lives, to change a neighborhood, a community, a city, a state, a nation. We've been given so much and are manifesting so little. Let us conclude by considering Christ's teaching and admonition after the parable. For the admonition that follows the parable begs the question, do you still marvel at Calvary? In verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, did you never read in the scripture the stone which the builders rejected the same as become the head of the corner or the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Brother, sister, friend, is Calvary still marvelous? Worthy of pious admiration, admirable, excellent, surpassing human understanding and causing amazement in your eyes. Have we become too comfortable and too casual about the cross? I know so many churches today, there's not a single cross anywhere in the church. We've replaced the pulpit with a music stand. There's no more altar. 
And it's all about a concert atmosphere. All brothers and sisters run from such environments. The worship may seem great. But if the preaching that follows that worship is impure, eventually it will corrupt even the worship. And finally you'll go from singing of how great He is to singing songs of how wonderful I am and we are and how much we deserve and how special we are. It's not about me. We must learn to declare along with John the Baptist, I must decrease. I must be abased. I must be belittled. I must become less and less and less so that he might become more and more and more. That's why Paul said, I glory in my tribulations. I glory in my weakness. For in my weakness, Christ is made strong. But we live in an age of men and women too strong to be broken. And we've lost our wonder. I remember there's a simple song. I don't even remember who put it out. To simply saying, may we never lose our wonder. Wide-eyed and mystified. May I be just like a child. Standing in the presence of our King. May we never lose our wonder. May we never say Christ died and make that casual. May every time we utter Christ died make us reflect and genuflect and fall to the ground and declare the God, the glorious creator of all the universe shed his blood for me. Oh, may we never lose our wonder. That he who spoke the world into existence would humble himself to come into the world as a babe cooing and crying. May we never lose our wonder that he who made the rivers to flow hung upon a cross and declared, I thirst. May we never lose our shock and awe at that final cry to tell us stay it is finished the debt is paid in full not because of anything I did not because of a prayer I prayed not because of wisdom I gained not because of insight I saw but because it was Christ it began with Christ it was maintained in Christ my faith was given to me by Christ he saved me he sanctifies me he blesses me he holds my hand he takes me day to day it's all about him No more arguing about a tithe or a fifth or this or that. He can have it all. No more arguing about I've got this gift or I've got that or my doctrine or your doctrine. No, it's all about Jesus. Christ died. He gave everything for me and I owe him everything. The audacity of arguing that I have a better standing in the kingdom because I have a clearer understanding. All my studies and all the revelation that God has given me packed in to one big ball amount to not a drop of spit in comparison to the glory 
on the honor and the wonder and the splendor that is Christ crucified at Calvary. May I never forget. May I never forget how lost, how wretched, how vile I was. And how his hand of mercy reached into the muck and mire and pulled me out when I didn't deserve it. And I don't deserve it still. But day by day, his mercy and his grace crash over me in waves of love. That's why I can't claim my rights before any man. That's why I have to love and pray for my enemies. That's why I bow my knee and forgive those who have put knives in my back and in my heart. Because how dare I stand on my rights when he stood in my place and took all my wrongs. May we never cease to marvel at Calvary and the glory of what Christ did there. And may we never impart any of that glory to Mary or Joseph or John or Peter or Paul. Thank God for them, but I want Jesus. May he never cease to be everything. May he be the center and the periphery and everything in the center and the middle, all around, all my faith, all my glory, all that I wish to be. May it never cease to be Christ. Verse 43. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Brother, sister, let's ask ourselves, are we, am I, are you, bearing fruit worthy of the kingdom? Come on, let's not give any of this, he knows my heart, gibberish. That's rubbish, that's foolishness. Read the book of Revelation, seven letters, seven churches. To each one he says, I know your acts. I know your acts. I know your acts. I know what you are doing. I know your heart by the fruit that you bear. God knows my heart that I love him. My wife knows that I love her because I say that I love her. She knows that I love her because I'll cook, I'll clean, I'll hold her hand, I'll talk with her, I'll sacrifice, I'll do what she asks. I, I try to, she sees the love. But if I didn't talk to her and I didn't spend time with her and I didn't do any acts of service for her and I never held her hand and I never did this and never did that and never spent time and never showed any affection and never sent a card and never did any of that. But when she knows my heart, we'd have no marriage by now. Oh, I'm not asking, does God know your heart? Does the world see your fruit? Fruit of righteousness. Worthy of all that Christ has done. For with Israel he could claim that he planted the vineyard and he hedged it around and he put a tower in the center and he sent men to them. 
but for us he grafted us into the vine and made his very self same spirit to flow through us he gave us a new heart and a new mind and a glorious sanctification he didn't just call us his servants and his slaves he calls us sons and daughters oh God we have so much more of an inheritance how ought we not to bear so much more fruit so the world should see our love and our mercy and our grace and our compassion and yes our power may the gifts and the unction and the outpouring and the love be manifest in the church again And then he concludes in verse 44. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. See, the chief cornerstone, the Christ, will change you and break you in one of two ways. Either you will fall on him. This is bowing the knee on this side of eternity. This is proclaiming the Christ. This is submitting to him. This is rising early and seeking his face and reading his word. This is giving him glory and honor on this side. And if you fall on the Christ, he will break you. You will be broken. Your will will be broken. But your shackles and your chains will also be broken. At times, your heart will be broken so that you may share in the fellowship of his suffering. But you will also experience a mending and a comfort like nothing you have ever seen. And in your brokenness, see, it's like training in a gym. The more resistance you place, the more tears you form on your muscles. But those tears are what are building strength. Those tears in the fabric of the muscle are what is building up bigger muscle and stronger muscle. When martial artists hit wood and hit blocks, they're creating micro-fractures in the bone. And those micro-fractures, those breakings, are creating greater calcification until I've read the stories of martial artists whose bones are as dense as steel. You will be broken, but not destroyed. You will be broken, but never cast away. And in your breaking, you will be mended and strengthened and empowered to bring forth more fruit and more fruit and more fruit until you bear so much fruit that the weight of that fruit topples you over and you fall down into death on this side and rise into true life on the other side of eternity. But if you choose not to fall on him here, then the cornerstone will fall on you. This is judgment. This is the last days. This is the separation of the wheat and the tares. This is the separation of the goat from the sheep. This is depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. This is cast out into the utter darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. 
Oh, but how could a loving God cast anyone into hell? How could a human brain, how could a human being with one iota of sense reject such love and compassion and fail to marvel at the glory of the Christ? He's not forcing you into hell. He's honoring your choice. So we have some self-examination to do tonight. If you are not a believer in the Christ, if you follow a way that is of your own making or of some other religion, you need to fall upon the stone tonight and give your life to this great and glorious Christ. How do you do that? A, B, C is a faith. A, admit that you are a sinner. B, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that He is and He was the Son of the living God, 100% God, 100% man. That He died in your place and that His death paid the price for your entry to heaven. C. Confess that truth. Proclaim Him publicly as your Lord. Pray to Him and then go tell people, Jesus Christ is now my Lord. Yeah, but they won't like me. Don't let them not like you. They'll cast me out. Let them cast you out. They'll kill me. Fear not those who can kill only the body. Fear the one who can cast soul and spirit into everlasting torment. But for the rest of us, for those who have already clung to that old rugged cross, we have some self-examining to do and some difficult questions to answer, but at the end of the day, it all boils down to this. Have you kept the fiery passion for Christ and the things of His kingdom burning white hot passionately with love? Or have you lost your first love? I'm going to ask that again. And then I want to give you time to reflect upon that question. I'm going to play one more song. We're going to listen in at this song. And then we're going to pray together, although if part of the way through you just feel the need to start praying, you do as the Lord leads you. But I want to invite you to reflect, to examine, to repent, to reconnect, to recommit tonight. Have you kept the fiery passion for Christ and the things of his kingdom burning with white hot passionate love? Or have you lost your first love? I want you to think on that tonight as we listen to this very, very simple song called Safest Place.
on things, on things above. Come on, focus on the question tonight. This is a heart check, Todd. I remain inside. It's about you and Jesus. Inside your love. Stand upon your word. Jesus, you have the most lovely name I've ever heard. God came to give you joy and joy unspeakable. A joy that comes every morning, no matter what you went through. I go through hell sometimes. But I grow through hell all the time. In the power of Jesus. I'll keep my mind. My mind on things. On things. Things above. I remain inside. I remain inside your love. Because, Lord, I give you my, my life, Lord. And you. Hallelujah. Father, we come to you tonight, Lord God, and we admit that perhaps, Lord God, we're not bearing fruit. Not the way that you deserve, not in the amount, not in the quality. I don't know, Lord. But wherever we are lacking, perhaps we lack discipline. Discipline in our prayer lives, discipline in our Bible reading, discipline in our fellowship. Perhaps we've forsaken the secret closet of prayer and fellowship for Facebook and Twitter. Father, help us to push all these other distractions aside and to make you primary. Father, tonight we look at Calvary. And we marvel, Lord God. We marvel, O oh God, at who you are. We marvel at what you've done. We marvel at how amazing your love is and at your sacrifice. And we say, Father, search our hearts, our minds. Search our homes, our bank accounts. Search everything we have and everything we are and everything we ever hope to be, our dreams, our plans, our ambitions. Father, tonight we turn everything over to you. Not some things, 
Not a few things. Not the convenient things. All things. All things. We cast it all into your hand tonight. And we say, you are Lord. Father, prune us. Cut away the distractions. Cut away the useless things. Cut away the false doctrine. Cut away the insecurities. Cut away the fear. Cut away our safety nets. So that we put all our eggs in one basket and declare, Lord, we are going forward tonight with Jesus Christ. Or we're not moving at all. Oh God, tonight we declare like Moses, Father, it doesn't matter the blessings and the glory and the wonder and the splendor and the benefits that are ahead. If you are not going, then we will not move. Because above the blessings in your hands, above the gifts and the talents and the provision and the comfort, we want you. Like the woman with the issue of blood, we push through the crowd, good and bad. We push through despair and addiction as much as we push through popularity and provision. We push everything aside and say, give me Jesus. We want you, Lord. We'd rather be with you standing on the sea in the midst of the storm than safely in the boat. We want you, Lord. We need you, Lord. And whatever's kept us from you, take it out of our hands tonight so that we are yours and yours alone. And for this, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' holy, magnificent, and marvelous name. Amen and amen. I'm going to be honest with you, saints. I'm, I'm torn right now. I, I want to open up. our call-in line. But I really just feel that after something like this, when you just walk away and be with him. So I'm going to say tonight, if you have questions, if you have needs, if you have a desperate prayer request, Cast your cares upon Jesus. Cast all your cares on him. Everything on him. So I'm not going to open up the line tonight. I'm going to leave you in the hands of our master and Lord. Knowing he is more than enough. Now if you have questions about anything I preached tonight, or you need counsel,
You can contact us. You can text 845-553-0883. Please, when you text, leave your name, city and state where you're from. Um, by the way, if you're if you're calling in from another nation, you can find me at Skype KQC Ministries on Skype. And you can send us the message that way. Please don't call. Tell me the time zone you're in or tell me what time it is when you're calling in where you live. Because I'll get a timestamp of when you sent your message, when you text. And you tell me what time it is when you text so I can make up the time difference. Send your question. I'll either write back to you or if it's something where it'd be quicker or better to deal with it verbally, then we'll find a way to make that time and we'll do that. All right? But we're not going to open up the lines tonight. We're not going to do that. You know what? Additionally, I'm going to say this. Um, I'm also torn because financially... I'm in a situation where I could really use your gifts, but I'm not going to ask for them tonight. If you're a regular here and you know how to give and God has put on your heart, go ahead and do that. Tonight's not about your money. It's about your heart. It's about your fruit. And it's about your relationship with Christ. So let me just pray with you and we're going to dismiss. Cast your cares on Jesus and let's all just trust him. And I believe we're going to begin to see an outpouring of the glory of God like we've never seen before. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, thank you. Thank you for the worship tonight. Thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for Jesus tonight. Tonight, we have recommitted we have declared and decreed once again that we are yours. Lord, put your seal, put your stamp on this commitment. Seal us under your grace. Keep us by your righteous right hand. So that going forward, Lord, the words of our mouths, the meditations of our heart, every fiber of our being in our lives, will be glory unto Christ. Keep us, Lord, and build your kingdom in us. And I pray, Lord God, I believe you, Lord God, that when we gather next week, it's going to be a very different kind of gathering. Our hearts will be different. Our lives will be different. The manifestation of your glory will be different. We'll have testimonies to share because of what you started tonight. So Lord, by your authority and in your great name, I bless your people. I declare them to be the head and not the tail, above always, never beneath. I declare them to be world overcomers, blessed in the city, the field, going in, going out, coming in. In everything they do, you will prosper the works of their hands. And you'll do it for your glory. And we will not hesitate to turn back and give you that glory. For you deserve it, Lord God, our Christ. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 
Saints of God, thank you for joining us. We love you. Jesus loves you. The Lord bless you. We'll talk real soon. God willing, we'll see you next week. Thank you all for joining us tonight. If you're blessed, go be a blessing. Good night.